Good day, everybody. Glad we can be together wherever you're viewing on taking in the worship experience today. We're delighted you're here, especially if you're a guest with us today as we continue this series on relationship. And we're going to be looking at commit today. And I've been cheering you on through this whole series that God would pave the path for for your relationships, to re-energize it, to strengthen it, to find new relationship, if that be the case. And so I'm going to continue to be your cheerleader. I'm going to ask you to be my cheerleader. I'm on the backside of the crud. So you can kind of hear it in my voice a little bit. But the Lord's given me strength each hour, and this is going to be my best hour. Plus, you had an extra hour of sleep, so it's got to be a great hour. We're going to be together and have some fun and learn about relationship. I've got this quirky side of me. I love uh, words. And uh, the Oxford Dictionary comes out with a new word related to the trends in the given year. And in 2015, it really captured my attention because what came out was not a word. It was this, an emoji. And it's the laugh cry face that came out as the quote unquote word of the year, alternatively used as LOL, laugh out loud because my voice is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sometimes really lean into you guys today, help me on my, my journey here. Um, but that laugh out loud um, became popular. It still is the number one emoji in popularity in the world today. What strikes me of interest is in September, they came out with an updated version of emojis. There are now 3,633 emojis. And the top five include, this is still number one, but then thumbs up, red heart, the winking kiss, and then, of course, the sad face with the tear. And you might go, okay, what does this have to do with commitment? Well, we're going to look at this bond of commitment in a moment. And the word is kind of a hard word, isn't it, when you first hear it? But the, the word actually is translated in the scripture as commitment, loyalty, and faithfulness. And yes, there is an emoji for faithfulness and loyalty, and it's the blue heart. The blue heart in the emoji world has to do with body and soul, and so there are several hearts, different color hearts with different meaning, but this blue heart means I'm yours. I'm committed, I'm loyal, I'm faithful. You can count on me. And so it becomes a way that we communicate today, and you cannot have um, a healthy relationship without a high dose of commitment. So we're continuing this series looking at the RAM model created by John Van Epp, the relationship attachment model. He identifies from the scriptures and through his practice five bonds that are, comprise healthy relationships that are really needed to have healthy relationships. So we're going to look at the bond of commit today. And by the way, the most important one is the no. So you're always getting this energy of, of raising the bar, of getting to know the one that you're with, your companion and uh, your spouse or your friendships. You're always wanting to grow through the seasons of life and everything else flows in terms of health from that given strong no place. Well, today we're gonna look at commitment and a definition of commitment is a good start point. The act of dedicating, devoting, or pledging yourself to someone or something. And in the scripture, you'll find that the word commitment or faithfulness or loyalty is comprised of two primary expressions. And the first is promise, and the second is priority. Promise referring to the intention that you bring into relationship. And the priority is speaking about the investment that you make into the relationship. And these two words come together to form this commitment, this faithfulness in one's journey. So when somebody makes a promise to you uh, and their intention is good, and when somebody 
uh, makes you a priority and they invest into you, you feel it. And it becomes the jet fuel for relying and um, and trusting. So when commitment rises, this tends to rise in higher levels in the relationship as well. We'll see that in just a few moments. Now, I take a step back because I think about where we are in America today and the things that we value and treasure so much. And I think you would agree with me that we tend to elevate success over and against commitment. Would you agree with that? that we give a lot of energy to success. And yet when you look at the scriptural teaching, Jesus' teaching, he says next to nigh about anything related to success. He doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we find that God is looking for faithfulness, not success, that success actually flows out of faithfulness. So rather than striving for success, prioritize this call to be faithful. And to see what real commitment looks like, we're going to look at the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus in this great passage in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Read this with me. Just help me out a little bit and join me in this beautiful, beautiful text. It reads this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Read it again. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I'm going to call that the JM, the Jesus mindset. Say the Jesus mindset. The Jesus mindset. I want you to have the Jesus mindset. It's a different mindset than what your natural mindset might be. We're called to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, the JM, the Jesus mindset, to be and live like Jesus in our relationships, the one who made a promise to be with us and never forsake us, the one who made us a priority to invest in us all that we would need. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, you can see that he chose, and that becomes the operative word when it comes to commit, he chose to give up fame and comfort for us. He chose to endure blame and shame for us. He chose to give himself up in suffering and sacrifice on a cross for us. And then when he rose from the dead, he chose to invest in us the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit will give us all that we need to deal with the reality of what comes to us in life. What a gift that we have here. This is the JM, the Jesus mindset, a commitment that's marked by presence and love and generosity and sacrifice and service. And we see that reinforced as the passage continues in verse six. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is his commitment. And I want you to notice, it is a commitment that is made by choice, not by feelings. And it's so hard. We are such a feeling people in a feeling world. And we're called to make a commitment, and the commitment we make is made by choice, not by feelings. I've had a song in my head all of this week. I can't get it out of my head, so you're going to help me get it out of my head. You're going to sing it with me. <laughs> the other two services have done beautifully well. 
I'd love for you to be the cherry on top, okay? And help me out with this. But I can't get the song by the Righteous Brothers out of my head. You've lost that loving feeling. All right, help me out here. You've lost that loving feeling. Yeah, go, help me. Come on, yeah. Beautiful, yeah. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's about as low as I can get on that. Well done. Give yourself a hand, you guys. Yeah, love and feelings come and go. Great songs are written about that. And then, you know, that ends with bring back that love and feeling because we want it to come back into life and relationship. But commitment is not a feeling. It's an intentional, active choice of the will to be present, to not bail, to hang in there through the hardest of life and relationship. So relationships just really need, um, in order to be healthy, a big, big dose of this bond of commitment where you just choose to commit. And so I choose to commit myself to carry. It's a choice that I make. I choose to love and be generous to her. I choose to serve her and to make her a priority in my life. I choose to have the JM, the Jesus mindset in terms of my commitment to her and the Jesus mindset in terms of my commitment to you as the church and to friends in my life, it all takes the JM, the Jesus mindset. He just calls us to a place that we've lost because of sin and brokenness, and he's, he comes to recalibrate it, and we get to step into it with him, as we see in Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This completely other-centered orientation to life is just not natural to us. So it's a choice that we make in abiding with Christ who is the other-centered person. So you've heard me, if you've been at Western for any length of time, talk about there are two kinds of people in the world. There's the here I am kind of person, and the here I am kind of person is pretty much self-absorbed. There's the there you are kind of person who walks into the room and they see you, whether you're a friend, whether you're a companion, whether you're a stranger, and they go, oh, there you are. And they have questions, they inquire, they want to know you, they're there you are kind of people. And we are called to be there you are kind of people because we have a God who is a there you are kind of God, who's given us Jesus Christ, who says to me personally and to you, Joel, there you are. And I'm coming for you, I know you, I love you, I want you to know me, I want you to have right relationship with me, I want you to have great relationships with those in your life, in your journey. You need to have the Jesus mindset, the mindset of being like Jesus in um, relationships along the way. And so we grow in this, we grow in this understanding, we give our life to growing in this understanding, and we understand that there's leakage that comes with that. When Carrie and I started dating, we, we were, we, I really married one of my best friends, really, to, to be honest with you, we, we were not, we were platonic in our relationship for a couple of years. And so we got to know each other over time, and it was really good. And with the knowledge that we grew in, we also grew in trust, and we also grew in reliance on each other. But we hadn't made a commitment yet. We were still growing in all of these things, and, and they were good, and they were meaningful for us, but that day came when I just felt the ante was 
being raised and it was time to commit. And I can remember the place, the time, the feeling when I said to her for the very first time, I love you. And she didn't respond back, just like you. I just like, <laughs> you kind of have an expectation. Well, I love you too. Don't you, doesn't that seem like a natural expectation? I think it is, but it, it didn't happen for a couple more weeks. But when it happened, and that commitment happened, it was like jet fuel for relying and trust. We were now in it, and we were committed to each other. Commitment is such a significant bond to having a relationship that's vibrant and alive and dynamic. And so we want to bring that commitment into the journey. So today, what I'd really like to do is talk about commitment on a couple of fronts here. I, I want to speak briefly to those who are not inclined to enter into a romantic relationship or marriage. I want to speak about those who are single and want to move toward a romantic or marriage relationship as well as to those who are married. Take a couple moments and talk about why it's so hard for us to commit. And then I'm gonna give you three practical things that you can do to cultivate um, commitment. So are you in this with me? And then we're gonna come to this table and we're gonna celebrate the one who committed his all for you and for me. So let me just briefly speak into this. I wanted to say something in the journey, haven't found the window to do it, um, to speak about commitment for those who choose not to marry. The Apostle Paul was single, and he wanted singles to know the benefits of what it is to live your life remaining single, not entering into a marriage relationship, and with all the demands that come with it, that there's Profound benefit, and he gets real specific, which tells me that he wanted not just his time and place to know, but every generation to be mindful of it because we've created words around singleness that are not fitting of the honor that God intended for this beautiful call to stay single, to remain single in your life. 1 Corinthians 7.32, he says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world. How can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. And he goes on to say the very same words for women. I'm not gonna repeat them because they're the very same words, but you get this picture as he continues on here. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in undivided devotion to the Lord. What he's saying is, I'm not restricting you. If you choose to get married, Please, go ahead, you have that choice. He has a high view of marriage, but he also has a high view of what it means to be single. He's saying to be single is good. It's a good choice, it's an honored choice, and in his estimation, it's a preferred choice because you don't have to be divided in your loyalties, raising kids if that's the reality, um, serving the needs of the spouse in the same way. It does mean that you're fully devoted to the way of God and you can give your best energy to it. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God and one has this gift and another has that gift. And that gift is referring to sexual um, purity or intimacy, that if you have a gift of being able to manage your sexual impulse, and we're gonna get into touch next week and the last of the bonds in relationship and the meaningful nature of touch, but if you can manage it and can remain single, God bless you and give your um, undivided attention and focus to the Lord. But if you have the need to express that sexual impulse that God gave to you, then he says, move toward marriage. He's not restricting that by any means. So 
just want to give that shout out that it's a high call and a preferred call for many to be able to move in that direction. I want to speak then about commitment for those who um, want to enter into romance or marriage um, along the way by speaking in a unified way around God's vision. I want to give us a call here. Could we recalibrate and reclaim God's vision for marriage? You know, marriage was his idea. It's a great gift given to us. He intended beautiful things to come from it. We live in a time where we have a lower view of marriage and um, what we call marriage hesitancy today. I'll get to that in a little bit. But because there is um, the reality of the law of slow leaks, we've been talking about that law of slow leaks, that every relationship, even when things are going well, it leaks, and therefore we have to apply the law of regular realignment to bring lift in order to keep it from going flat. That's not just in our time and generation. That has always been the case, and it was clearly what was happening in Jesus' time. During the first century, there was not only major leakage, relationships had gone flat, and the men, it was predominantly a male-controlled environment at that time, were giving out and handing out certificates of divorce like it was candy. I mean, it was just divorce was rampant. We think it's just our time and place. No, in the first century, it was as bad, if not worse, than it is even now. And Jesus sees what's happening. And what does he do? But he recasts the vision for marriage and relationship that God had given in Genesis, and he uses the same words, and if he was here teaching this message today, he would say the same words, which I'm going to represent him and share the same words from Mark 10, beginning at verse six. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Um, And I realize that there's separations. I realize there are divorces and brokenness. I've had conversations with many of you during this series. I come from a broken home. I'm really empathetic. I understand it's hard to keep it together. I'm just trying to recalibrate and recast the vision a high view of marriage that God had in the beginning and Jesus reinstated. And Jesus' vision here is really quite simply stated as a threefold focus. It's a vision for loyalty, that commitment, that faithfulness. It's a vision for intimacy, that there's something deep within us that we find in the marriage connection that can be experienced as we do it in God's way. And it's a vision for permanence, that we find a way to keep it together. And that's what he was saying to the guys. Do what you can to keep it together and make it a priority in your journey. Because we do have more of a casual view as they had in the first century. There is much more marriage hesitancy today, as we saw in the first century as well. And I think the question really becomes about how we begin to live in relationship. So we tend to move toward more of a contractual application rather than a a covenant kind of application. So I suppose a real practical question in your own head is to say, in my relationship, am I more contract-oriented or am I more covenant-oriented in how we are together in this relationship? And let me delineate both of them. First, the contract relationship is generally an agreement between two people that finds that its, its strength or its binding is enforced by legal matters or by law. 
And there tends to be two general characteristics of a contract. The first is that contracts are often time-limited. And so most marriage vows say, till death do us part, but we will apply it more like this. We're committed as long as the relationship is beneficial. When it's no longer beneficial, then we, we move on to other relationships. That's where we've, we've entered. We have a lower view than what um, the Jesus view would be for marriage. <clears throat> I think about this several years ago and some of the language we use in our culture today when uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, and um, she ended up divorcing um, Chris Martin of Coldplay, one of my favorite bands. I don't know how a person would ever want to divorce um, Chris Martin. <laughs> Look, he's a really cool guy, I think. But anyway, they divorced. But when they were divorced, she used this phrase that just got headlines everywhere. If you remember what it was, she said that we are entering into a conscious uncoupling. A conscious uncoupling. It's just like it becomes an option. It's finding a language that's more dignified than divorce, I guess. It's a conscious uncoupling. We're just no longer finding a benefit in staying together in an exclusive relationship. But I don't think it's the Jesus um, mindset. Would you agree with that? It's not. And same with the second expression. The contracts are based on a quid pro quo, just meaning an exchange of goods and services. And so um, it's a give and a take, a tit for tat kind of thing. And contracts tend to be motivated by a desire to get something, and that's not all bad, by the way. You have a job, you get a paycheck. So it's a good thing when you get a paycheck for your job, amen? Yeah. We like that, that's, that's right and good. So even in covenant relationships, there are contractual behaviors. They're not all bad. Some of them are indeed necessary in relationship, but it's not the frame of reference of the standard of what makes marriage, what God envisioned for marriage. He has a covenant view, which means to bind together in a way of, of, of intimacy and loyalty and permanence, and it's held together by the strength of God rather than our own human capacities. So I want to give you three biblical characteristics with the hope that you could just differentiate. Am I in a contractual relationship? And could I restore or give energy to move toward more of a covenantal choice? in relationship, here are three primary marks of a covenantal relationship as envisioned by Jesus, the Jesus mindset. First of all, you commit to give more than you get. That you commit to be generous. That you could answer this question right now. Do you behave in your relationship in a way that you are focused on generosity and giving or are you thinking and hoping about what you're going to get as your priority focus? In a covenant, you get creative and you go, how can I step in and give more than I'm trying to get? Because we all want happiness. We all enter into happiness, uh, into relationships for that happiness factor. But when our needs don't get met, we just easily default to contractual behaviors without even realizing. Let me just give you a few examples with relationships beyond marriage. Why should you honor your parents when you no longer feel like they have anything to give to you. They've kind of gone to the other side of the pasture. It becomes very contractual. Or why remain loyal to a spouse or to a sibling if they no longer satisfy you or fulfill your life? Or why keep investing into a friend where it feels like you're giving everything and they're giving nothing? Everything becomes contractual. Or why answer the call of Christ when the call that he makes is oftentimes at midnight and it's disturbing your deserved sleep? 
why does this happen? Does anybody else have this issue that God wakes you up at 2 in the morning? 3 in the morning, and he's, there's like what I call GPs, God promptings along the way. <clears throat> and why does that happen? Well, I think it's because God is awakening us to the power of his work in us. And he's probably giving us a prompting to be in prayer for someone or something. And that's how I've chosen to wake up at three in the morning. Even though I may be frustrated, my starting point is to say, Lord, am I supposed to be praying for someone right now? And I go through, I go through my kids, my family, I go through um, the church, any number of things. Can I just tell you, always, always, a person or something comes to mind, always. And I pray. That's a GP. It's part of that covenantal relationship, not just a contractual relationship. So the Jesus mindset is to commit to give more than to get. And secondly, you commit to be other-centered more than self-centered. And I addressed that already a little bit, but bring you back to the definition of love that I used a few weeks ago, that love, agape, that defines the very love of Jesus himself, the essence of God himself, <clears throat> is a commitment to meet the need of the other when it's not your need. Just remind you of that. So we're inclined to meet the need of the other when I get something in return that's a contractual relationship. And that can be good. Um, but when we commit to meet the need of the other, when it's not our need, that's covenant love. That's the deep side of love. That's when you've gotten to know the need of the other when it's not your need. You see it and you're committed to creatively try to meet that need. And that's what we give ourselves to. And then the third JM, the Jesus mindset, is you commit to keep it together rather than to look for a way out. Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no person separate. Don't let anything or anyone get in the way. And I think about this commitment. I've got two friends that lost their spouse this year, and I used to be like, we're way too young. They'll be losing spouses. Both of those spouses had been over five years in a compromised physical place, so they needed a lot of attention. <clears throat> and I watched those two men meet those needs um, and wash feet and serve and when their needs weren't being met. And I go, that's covenant love. And it's this beautiful gift that allows us to keep it together when it's hard to keep it together. We get on the solution side of it. Louis Smedes is one of my favorite authors since passed away now. He wrote these incredible words about commitment that I think are practical and insightful. Commitments are the only way for free persons to batten down their lives a little, to give them some permanence, some stability in the midst of change to keep them from being blown away by shifts in the breezes of mood and the blustery blows of passion. Commitments put some muscle into our human relationship. They give them the strength to tough out the hard times, to ride out the stormy times. You just find a way. How do we get on the solution side of us? And I know it's hard to do that, and sometimes it cannot be done. But if we go with the Jesus mindset, we're gonna give our best to try to get there. So why is it so hard to stay? committed? Why is it so difficult? Why is it that ghosting has become part of the vocabulary of today's dating world? It just pierces my heart. Maybe because I have a daughter who's been ghosted. And it just seemed incomprehensible when I first learned of the term that you would start to invest in a relationship and disappear. This is not a good thing for our culture. This is not where we want to be heading at all. It's major leakage in God's vision along the way. Or why do we have this diagnosis that is called the revolving door syndrome, where commitment is just hard to make, so we go in and out of relationships with the inability to lay down that foundation of commitment? 
Why have these things become part of it? Well, the research seems to indicate that commitment has become more difficult for our generation than generations previous for a number of reasons. I'll just pop up a few of them briefly. The fear of becoming trapped, that is, there might be somebody out there better than this person, so I revolve in and out. Or <clears throat> the fear of losing my independence or feeling like I have to have my life all together before I can step into the relationship or the risk of maybe losing um, some fun factor because I have the flexibility. This becomes one of the reasons why it becomes hard to commit. I just throw in a, a word that being committed actually can be a ton of fun. And, uh, and maybe an amen around that by those who are committed. <laughs> Told you I need you to work with me. Then there's the fear of drama. That is the, the mindset that says, you know what? Relationships are too hard. They require too much work. They are too demanding. And I think I would answer that by saying, yeah, they're really hard, but they're incredibly good when the investment is made and God blesses it richly when we put the investment into it. We make that priority. And then there's the fear of getting hurt where you might feel like you're rejected. Or the fourth is the fear of failure where you just don't feel confident that maybe I don't know how to enter into a relationship. I don't know how to make it really good. And I hope this series has given you some tools in your tool chest of relationships to give you more confidence because I say this with confidence that God's word communicates to us that commitment is good. Say that with me. Commitment is good. It, and we'll see some of the fruit of that. It brings this loyalty. It brings this intimacy. It brings this permanence that grows when we serve the best interests of another. So let me start to bring some focus here around cultivating commitment in a practical way. I'm gonna give you three things here to consider. A few years ago, actually about seven years ago, I was, with, um, I was on a panel. It was with a psychiatrist, a professor, and me, a pastor, addressing the question of marriage, health, and sustainability. Why do some marriages last longer and others don't? And the professor was Dr. William Doherty, who heads up the marriage and family therapy uh, section over at the University of Minnesota. And they just completed this massive national-wide research initiative and had a book that had come out on it. And he was so fascinating. And afterwards, I learned in a conversation with him, because I was so taken by him, um, that he is also a Christ follower, which kind of really made sense to me because in their findings and the research they did, he confirmed that commitment and intentionality are the key to healthy relationships. Everything that I've been speaking about, they spent millions of dollars in that research initiative. I opened up the Bible and I had it right there. Just open up the Bible, the truth is there. You don't have to spend a ton of money. Let's go with God and his word. It's so rich and beautiful, it helps us richly. One of the things that he said that stood out to me profoundly was that couples that um, are not intentional have the risk of becoming automatic pilot couples where the demands of everything just put you into a neutral zone so you lose the spark and the connection with each other. And he calls in the research that the couples that had sustainability in life in the long haul were intentional couples. So this is how he defined them. These are the couples think, who think about their relationship. They, they make plans for their relationship and acts for their relationship, mostly in, I like this, simple, everyday ways and occasionally big and splashy ways. We make so much about the big and splashy ways, but the strength of it is in the simplicity of the simple things that we do, an ongoing part of relationship. 
And so I want to give you three rituals that he communicated. I've ever done this about six, seven years ago with you, but I'm going to bring them back to the table. I've been exercising them with Carrie too, and in other relationships, they go beyond marriage. I'm going to speak to that in a moment. But let me give you the first is to create a habit of reunion every day. That is, the most important moment in your relationship, he says, is the moment of reunion. It's how you greet each other. It's how you greet each other in the morning if you're married and how you greet each other at the end of the day. And if you greet each other at the end of the day by coming in because you had such a bad, terrible, horrible, long day and you back the dump truck up and you unload it, do you think it affects the rest of your evening? It does. And if you have a pattern of doing that, it has an effect, a cumulative effect of negativity in the long-lasting nature of joy in a relationship or how you greet each other in the beginning of the day instead of just going off to your tasks. And so I thought, I'm going to take that seriously. So since that time, and Carrie and I, in the morning, when, before I go to work, I greet her with a kiss, or she greets me. Sometimes she's sleeping. I'm an early riser, and sometimes I have to be out early in the morning. And on those days, I still go up, and I kiss her on the, the cheek. The lips are usually buried somewhere. So I kiss her on the cheeks and, you know, whisper sweet somethings into her ear, and she does arouse a, a little bit, and we have a brief conversation about the day, and 30 seconds later, she's asleep, and I'm gone to work. It's how it kind of works out. But that little simple active greeting says, oh, we get to be together today. And we do it at the end of the day as well, and it's such a beautiful thing to come and to greet each other with gladness. It makes a difference for how the rest of the evening flows out. I think about that in the church. 1 Peter 5.14 says, greet one another with a kiss of love. You know, we simply just say, hey, say hi to people, greet one another. I think we should move toward a kiss of love. Anybody open to that idea? <laughs> All your introverts are going, no way, Jose, I'm not doing that. So, you know, there's this idea that when you enter into the church experience, how we greet each other, it's a reflection of the health of the church. It really matters. If we're not greeting each other and we're just self-consumed, it impacts the life and the dimension of the church. Let's greet each other well. Or think about friendships. If you have a friend who's always downloading the negativity on you, do you, do you want to pick up the phone when they call? No. So reunion, the, create a habit of reunion. Secondly, set aside two minutes of undistracted communication every day. That shocked me when he said that. Two minutes, not 20 minutes, not two hours. Two minutes of meaningful conversation is like a reboot of connection in the relationship. Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may now know how to answer everyone. That we are to greet each other and, and then be each other in meaningful conversation with grace in conversation. Just two minutes a day can really level set and reboot a, a, a relationship. And then the third is to practice appreciation ritual every day. And that is just to be, have, this is what I love, the simple little things. Write a card, point out something that you value in the person. Yeah, you have the big anniversaries. Yeah, you might get some jewelry along the way. But even in friendships, um, just appreciating the qualities of people that are so good. Call them out. Find them doing something right. Say, I appreciated that. This becomes the glue as first. Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this is what happens. The petty things that got elevated will get diminished, and the good things that got diminished will be elevated as we step into this place. These words are important because they're the currency of relationship with God and others and with Jesus Christ, which is why we want to come to this table. Friends, I'm going to close with this thought around the benefits of commitment. 
Commitments are good because life would be less good without them, right? Commitments are good because they serve community better than self-focused individualism. And commitments are good. They're actually the best because they bring us into deeper communion with God and it grows in us something that is far greater the love of Jesus Christ. That grows in us, in our commitment. It's having the Jesus mindset. It grows in us when we are generous and serving and sacrificial with those that God has put us in our life. So we come. Put an exclamation mark on commitment and faithfulness and loyalty with the name of Jesus by coming to this table today. So if you don't know him, know him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's an unrighteous thing to not be committed in our relationships. Confess that and come to faith in Christ. Renew your faith in Christ and let's remember his faithfulness to us. Would you stand and let's close together and uh, come to this table. Father God, thank you for the promise of your word that says your mercies are new every day Great is your faithfulness, that every day we wake up to a new bucket of mercy by which your faithfulness gives us what we need to live in right relationship with you and with each other. So we come to this table knowing that the bread and the cup represent a union, sacred and beautiful, a commitment, a loyalty, a faithfulness that is permanent. And we want to be and live like your son, Jesus the Christ, and we need your help. We confess that to you, and we ask that you would grant it in generosity and that we would in humility receive it in great measure and that we would see blessing upon blessing in our relationships as we remember you in Jesus' name, amen.